Uh, welcome back to Troubled, uh, a podcast for survivors. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. We have the president of SIA, which is Survivors of Institutional Abuse, Jody Hobbs. Welcome. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yay. We are too. Um, Miranda, how do you want to proceed? <laughs> I put Meredith on the spot, you guys, because I always love to use her like actual professional activist intros. Like it, it makes me happy. So obviously, since we're a podcast for survivors of institutional abuse, uh, having the president of survivors of institutional abuse.org on is excellent. And I, we assume that a lot of you are familiar with Sia. Um, but Jody, for those of uh, the new survivors coming to the table, could you let everyone know who is Sia? Sia has been around for a decade, but who's Sia? Yeah, so um, we started 10 years ago and um, it started basically a group of survivors and, and one a kind of supporter um, came together talking about um, how youth are being abused, um, you know, nationwide. And we decided that we were going to do something about it. And, you know, having been a survivor, um, we understood what the abuses were and we were kind of gung ho to try to make changes. And so, um, the biggest thing that we wanted to do was bring healing to the survivor community. Um, and because, we just felt like if we could just come together that we could make so much of an impact. And so we started conventions and then um, at the conventions led to other opportunities. And um, we have been in documentaries and we've worked on legislation and um, we've had opportunities to impact change nationwide. And uh, we've been honored to do so. And it's only gotten better and it's growing and we're excited. Awesome. Yeah. And it's so important, you know, as Meredith and the rest of us in our generation, like come on to the scene with, you know, Meredith has, you put this as this is the next civil rights movement. And I, I tend to agree. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You, you know what? I think that um, I, I have been saying this for uh, years that um, we need to take care of our children, protect our youth. And it, it is an ongoing issue that's been, um, we've tried to tackle it, you know, um, as a, as a nation, um, as far as like, uh, bringing civil liberties to children, but I think we could do better. And so this is what we're striving to do. Right. And that's what the movement's all about is to protect our youth. Right. Yeah. I, um, I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because, um, I was talking to, um, a lot of, um, like-minded people that I'm friends with that have that share the same political as me and not that I'm going to get into politics but we were talking about like the you know like the younger generation that's like you see them Thunberg and like standing outside protesting and you know because there's so much violence in their schools and there's so much um there's so many of these things happening that's out of their control that they're finally like standing up and, you know, 14 year olds are showing up to the women's March protests and things like that. And so I'm thinking a lot about like the youth of this country. Like we have so until you're 18 yet, like, so you can't really participate in the, in the democratic process. And which and to me basically means you have no rights until you're 18. So like, I'm not surprised that the youth of, 
this modern era we lived in like this you know when when these kinds of like schools started popping up in like being really hardcore in the 70s i know that they've you know been around much longer before that but like i think look at our youth as like these powerless people as these people that aren't really 100 percent human beings yet because you know we can't participate in our lives fully until we're 18 and in some ways i understand that the front the frontal lobe isn't fully formed but in some ways it's like it's hard because we're primed to be taken advantage of um and that is i think one of the sole reasons why that these schools exist and why um the power dynamics i i think exist that you know the how many movies does hollywood make about abusive parents or abusive uh people roles of their how they're abusive to younger people um and that whole uh this whole thing fascinates me um in a way the way that uh just how easy it is for um powerful people to take advantage of children i've just been thinking about that a lot lately i don't really have a question but maybe you could speak, <laughs> maybe you could speak to it a little bit um, I, I have t- thought a lot about that as well, um, because I, I want to make this world a better place. And, and this world would be a better place as, if we thought of children as individuals and allowed them to be their unique selves and tried to develop them in such a way that they can <clears throat> hone in on their skills and become great adults to do amazing things. But if, if they don't have the ability to do that because they're in an abusive situation or they have a parent that's trying to make them conform or you know they're in the foster care system or something like that, they don't have the ability to be the best person that they can be. And so it's, it's on us to change that. And I think you're right. I think that uh, children today are much smarter. We have technology that's, uh, I mean, three-year-olds can get on, uh, you know, the internet pretty easily and they know how to. And so um, they're smarter and, um, you know, this generation that's coming is smarter and uh, they're well-versed with technology. So uh, I think we're going to see some amazing things from our youth. And it's just about the adults uh, learning how to parent in such a way or allowing for the child to be the best individual that they can be. And I think a lot of times parents, you know, I'm a parent of five. I have five children. Oh, wow. And um, they're all grown. Um, successful. They're, they're beautiful kids. And I'm such a proud mama. But the one thing that I did with them uh, as uh, kids is I allowed them to be themselves, you know, um, and many parents, for whatever reason, have some kind of uh, preconceived notion about what their child is supposed to be. And if they don't fit that mold, then there's, uh, you know, a lot of dysfunction. And, uh, you know, as parents, we have this vision of when our kid is born, um, that they're going to be the this and the that. And when that vision starts breaking, then we start getting scared. And uh, there's a lot of different things that happen to parents that think, oh, I'm not doing it right. Or, or um, the, if I do this, uh, maybe this will help this child or benefit them. And, and um, so the responsibility lies solely on the parent. 
But what we need to do is move towards more of a, a, a mutual thing uh, so that when the child gets, you know, to an age where they can actually communicate with you and kind of start making some decisions, that should be allowed um, because then that helps them become, uh, you know, an independent adult. So we need to start bringing these things to the table. We need to start having these conversations because as we move forward, um, you know, in this environment that we, you know, everybody's calling it the new normal we have to make some uh, really hard decisions and we have to move forward in such a way that's going to be beneficial for everybody. And so I think children's rights is at the forefront to have that kind of conversation. Yeah. I mean, we're having schools just be up and you know, the adults aren't to do anything about it. You know, it's just like uh, in the name of freedom uh, that uh, murderers and, crazy people to even sometimes kids, other kids mm, yeah. get hold of these murder weapons. Um, mm-hmm. Just like I find this whole idea of, um, you know, treating y- y- people age of 18, like less, just like, um, like it was uh, like we, like it was um, in the civil war. Well, um, so what's the so, so what's so what's the object of of these programs that we send our children to? They're not doing something. They're not complying. So right. you know we have to send them away, right? To conform to um, to do what it is that we are requiring uh, as their parent, as their guardian, as their custodian. And it's and something... so we send them away. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, we send them away, and, and we are then saying whatever you're doing, whoever you are, right now is not okay with me. So I'm going to send you to this place to make you okay. So the moment that that kid goes away to the place, wherever it is, um, and it could be, you know, another reason, molestation or whatever the reason, but the moment that that kid gets sent to one of these places, they know that they're less than, or they feel that they're less than. So they, they begin with a chip on their shoulder and then they go through this trauma and, and there's all kinds of trust issues and, it's, it's a lot, you know, and, and even in the public school system, we're, we're seeing this kind of, uh, you know, you must conform rather than um, having an environment that's more creative. And, um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something I don't um, really talk about a whole lot publicly, but mm-hmm. I think it's really important to discuss you know, um, in the 70s and 80s, um, and you tell me what you guys think about this too, but in the 70s and 80s, we had this um, kind of, uh, you know, understanding of doing everything logical, process-based, you know, where we were developing this technology society was going gangbusters. And uh, so everything was very logic-based. Politically, um, it was more of a masculine kind of feel, right? Mm, uh, yeah. More order control, right? <clears throat> and uh, so there was little emotion that was brought to the table. It was just like, here, let's fix this. Let's continue to fix this. Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's fix this, right? It was just a whole lot of logic thrown in there. And the emotion was kind of uh, thrown out. And um, I think right now, at the time that we're at, right here today with all that's going on, I think people are being brought back to their emotion. I think that um, the more kind of feminine is coming in, which is really good. Mm. Um, and, and so um, this is going to allow us to have the conversation of what's good emotionally for this child. 
you know, how can I benefit this child emotionally? How can, and asking those questions, right? How can we do something that's going to enhance this child's education? And, you know, whether it be a creative endeavor or having an alternative education or something to this effect. So we're going to start having these kind of conversations. And so us as survivors, the community, um, can start having these conversations too. Because when we start talking to other people about this, it brings the conversation to the table, right? About whatever, parenting or, you know, abuse of power, things of this nature. And this is why I love your show because you guys are just, you know, bring it out there and talking about it. And it's amazing. Yeah, I, um, well, we learned from the best, (laughs) you guys. I I do want to say to your point, I think that's a really awesome point. um, And I'll, is that I think, um, you know, a lot of this, and I think even starting in the 70s, you know, I look back at the way my parents were raised and they were raised so narcissistically. And what you're saying is in of itself narcissistically. So if you're not conforming to the idea of the way that I think you should be, that is incredibly narcissistic. Um, I, I think <laughs> right? to I think to the woman that you were on the doctors with um, when you went on the doctors. I forget how many years ago. And I, uh, Cindy or Liz? Yeah, um, not really Liz, great. not Cindy. The woman who was interviewed about how her son died at one oh, of these wilderness yes. programs, and yes, she said, yes, yes, and something, mm-hmm. something about that woman really strikes the heart in me. Um, because she said, and I'll, I just stop thinking about this because I've seen that before, but I recently went back and watched your whole segment and I really paid attention this time because now I'm really like in this world more so than I have been. And Mm. when she told, uh, the doctors how she sent her son away and how she said he, everything was so perfect about him. He was such a gentle kid. He was Mm. so good. He listened to me, but he didn't have any confidence, and mm. I thought, you know, it, it, and it, even to this day, it makes me think like of when like the military or something back in like, you know, 1890 when, you know, when you, uh, you know, when like in, in, in previous generations of ours, how we raised our kids this way, right? We didn't necessarily ship them off to these like abusive situations, but like, you know, we whipped them into shape. We, we took them out back and, you know whipped them with our belts to get them you know it's kind of the same no they were doing this they were selling sending them off to military school reform school this has been going on for a very long time now yeah and so yeah my dad went to military school as well and my grandfather and all that in this narcissistic view of how we think we these kids should be regardless of to the extent of how it should be right like regardless if oh my god this kid is so great he's so kind he's so lovely he just needs some confidence like it, just the whole idea of these kinds of the reasons these the re, like the reasons these parents um, how their narcissism comes out uh, even in the even like I said in the smallest of ways well, it's oh, just it, it you just brought blows up, my mind. You, you, you brought up a really good point. Narcissism comes out when we're in a, a form of trauma survival mode, right? Yeah. So if we're in battle, if we're arguing, if we're in a, in a kind of a place of dysfunction. Um, that narcissism can come out um, and it, we can be, you know, over dominant, over aggressive with our children. And yeah, that's absolutely true. I feel like my dad used absolutely. to tell me that my grandmother, um, my grandmother died when I was very young, but like, you know, she would like make my father practice. Uh, he's an amazing musician and piano player today, but only because my grandmother would like stand over his shoulder and like, you know, 
she would like smack him on the hand or smack him on like the back of his head if he like didn't practice, mm. you know, and it's like this, I, you know, this was kind of troubled teen industry kind of like, this is the way you were kind of brought up to be, you were, you know, taken out back, you know, mauled with a belt, you know, and then now I think, you know, our parents generation is like, well, I'm not going to deal with it, you know, uh, ship them off to this place where they can be molded into a decent human being and I don't know just like thinking about forming my opinions on that whole dichotomy of the way that child relationship and granted there these I'm not saying these are all parents I know some parents uh, uh, quite incredible parents um my stepfather's one of them my stepfather uh raised me so well post you know was part of this decision, but well, um, I think many, many of these children are, are, excuse me, many of these parents are uh, kind of uh, um, tricked into, deceived into thinking that uh, these these places will be good and beneficial, you know, and they have the appropriate therapy, you know, and many times that's not the case, right? So, um, and we're just talking about one dynamic of this, with, which is the kind of out of control dysfunction household. There's many dynamics, like you know. Um, being sent away for protection or, you know, from the family, from molestation, um, you know, uh, custody battles. I mean, there's many reasons why kids get sent to these programs, you know. So, so we're touching on just one of them. And I just wanted to make that very clear because there's so, so many. And, you know, I've actually talked to many parents uh, on the phone and it's just really interesting, the, you know, the reasoning uh, that they give me as to why that they have sent their child away. And when I kind of rationalize with them and go through the questions, um, you know, with them, then they kind of realize that they um, have made a, a, a really bad call or a bad decision because they were in this kind of stress dysfunctional state. And so... Yeah. I think many and many parents do that, and I think these the these facilities they kind of um, play on those emotions. Yeah, I mean those, the marketing uh, technique, parent emotions. The marketing techniques of these yeah. places, you know, they see a really overwhelmed with their child's problems, and I mean that's just like bait. That's just like um, the meat dangling in front of the shark, and it's just ripe for the eating you know so I yeah so I'm just wondering why so the concept is this we're struggling um our our child is struggling maybe I should go to some parenting classes maybe I should go to you know um some place for um understanding what my child is going I don't understand what taking the child out of the home you know would do um I I just I have such a hard time maybe Maybe we could do um, um, preventative. And, and I think maybe that might be the answer is talking to these parents before, uh, you know, they get to this point of um, making this terrible, hard decision. Um, and uh, so I think preventative it should be part of the conversation. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm concerned that the resources these parents have that they are proactively taking for preventative measures are so tightly like uh, looped into this entire industry as is Mm -hmm. tough love, you know, tender, loving care, like with the Chucky D days. Tough love is how Uh, I wound up. Me too. My parents would take me every week to a a tough group. So um, I think 
so I think this conversation is great because I think we need to change the conversation. We're all grownups. We're all adults. We're all out in the industry. We all have the opportunity to touch um, a life and uh, make a difference. Mm -hmm. And um, so it doesn't matter where we're working. Like if we're working uh, at a hospital, if we're working at Carl's Jr., it doesn't matter. As long as we have the conversation, you know, as long as we're having the conversation, right? Um, we're making a difference. And I, and I think that's very important uh, to talk about because a lot of times people say, oh, well, what could I do? I'm, I'm just over here, you know, working my nine to five. I can't really do a whole lot. Well, you certainly can. Every single person can make a difference in another person's life and, um, you know, make some phone calls or, you know, call your legislator or um, help a child, you know. There's all kinds of youth programs out there. I'm just saying, let's let's start the conversation. I agree. So per your comment about starting, like having this conversation, there's a lot of people that have been reaching out to us recently who are either family members like, hey, Mayor, I spoke with Felicia's grandmother today all the way from Italy. Wow. Uh, she called me. Yeah. Oh, she is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, She's amazing. Shit. I've never even talked to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Jody, like, okay, so we, Felicia was in our family. Uh, she experienced extreme trauma oh, gosh, in her early life. Nine years. Oh, my goodness. So her grandmother got custody of the kids after, her I don't want to give out murdered. the details, but okay, we're giving out the details. For, yeah, and she was there for that. And um, so the grandmother has these five grandkids, and so she uh, sent them to boarding school, some of them. And uh, Felicia could have gone to a fancy one in Connecticut or go with her sister to the family school. One with her sister, as Mayor said, she was there forever. So when the Family Foundation School Truth Campaign and all that jazz blew up, her grandmother saw it, became absolutely red-eye livid, like, uh, And she totally believes survivors. And she wishes she knew the truth early enough to sue the hell out of them. Mm. Um, and, wow. you know, she recognizes... She wanted a boarding school therapeutic environment to give a head start to her grandchildren. And what she got was oh my permanent God. trauma. Oh my God. Permanent trauma. And no question of what can these people do, Jody? Cause we can, we can uh, set this table to have this conversation, but we need our allies and we need them to help us push the civil rights. movement. What can they do realistically? What can they do? I mean, as far as like combating what's already existing. I mean, so, so we t have this conversation of prevention. So um, I, th I think that's uh, ultimately the conversation that we need to have, which is um, talking to our family members, um, talking to the people that we work with, um, and having the conversation of, you know, uh, if they're, let's just say somebody's having a problem with their kid um, and they ask your opinion or, or your advice or whatever, be open to have that conversation. Um, and um, if, you're, if you're a parent and you work in um, the school system or you volunteer, you know, um, have those conversations with the other parents. So, so that's what I'm talking about as far as prevention. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we have um, children that are in these facilities right now currently, and they're in there under hor horrific conditions. And my heart hurts for them. And this is why I do the work that I do. And this is why we're having the conversation that we're having. And so we need to be cognizant that these places do exist. They're, they're not going away anytime soon. 
And so if we hear of something that we need to go and report it, so we can report it to the FBI. um, And we can also, you can call me um, or any of the other uh, nonprofits that are around that can um, kind of have that conversation. You can get a wellness check done at a facility to make sure a child is okay. Um, It's a very tricky situation. And if you know blatantly outright that there is abuse, contact your local press, contact your local newspaper, um, because the exposure needs to be made. So um, your voice is important and it matters and it might just save a child's life. Uh, Many children have died in these facilities. And so um, it's important that you're aware and cognizant that this does occur and it is happening currently. And uh, the other thing that can be done is contacting your local legislators, uh, making sure that in your particular state that the children, the youth are protected if they're in uh, foster care um, or uh, sent away to a therapeutic uh, facility or wilderness boot camp um, or even in juvenile detention center. I mean, institutional abuse can happen anywhere. So um, having that conversation uh, with uh, your community and being involved, um, you know, I think it's important just to talk, (laughs) which is what we're doing right here. And I'm so excited. So that's my answer. Do you want to? Yeah. Open, okay. Well, open up for questions from. Yeah, girl. Are you ready to answer all the questions from your public? Sure. I'm ready. Let's go. Mary, want to start? Yeah. So that one here. So this is from Laura. Has Jody noticed any of the programs to have a cult-like following and between the original leaders of of cults like Synanon and Sidhu? Does that make sense? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Synanon was a cult, and, you know, Jody, you're obviously familiar with the relationship between Synanon and then Sidhu and Seed and kids and straight and all that jazz. Is that still happening? Um, so I, I believe so, and I believe it's happening in a different way. I believe that they're more professional, you know, it, it, it's more um, uh, been, been where you can take insurance now. It's not as privatized as it was before. Um, but, you know, it, it's become an industry in and of itself, right? A multi-billion dollar industry. And um, so um, I think that they, uh, if you look at the, what you would call a cult is such a really hard uh, term to define. And I was just mm. recently on a show <laughs> that talked about, uh, you know, um, how do people feel after they've experienced a cult and, um I, I like to say this was cult-like. It was very extreme behavior. And uh, doing research on your own to discover, was this a cult-like experience for you? I think that's only up to you to decide. And I, I think it's up to you to do your due diligence and make sure that um, wherever you're putting your attention is appropriate. And so um, I would say yes, um, that there is still kind of relationships going on. There's still a lot of, uh, you know, um, people from Synanon that are currently um, within these other, um, and I'm not sure exactly what to call them, facilities, groups, uh, therapeutic boarding schools, uh, because they go by so many different names. But I think that um, there is kind of a... um, a folding in of the concepts that were done in the past to what is now current. And I think it's done via them having conversations in in exchange with each other. But, you know, I don't know for sure. I don't know, you know, 
who knows that answer? Only they do. Uh, great. Okay. The second part of this question is um, uh, Laura, who asked this question, has been looking into Aspen and she just wants to know if it's like uh, a cult-like program or if it's just business as usual. Well, so if we're looking at uh, these p- particular programs, wilderness boot camps, wh- whatever the, the place is, right, whether it's Aspen or any other place, um, institutional abuse is institutional abuse is institutional abuse. And there is an opportunity for that to occur in any place that your child is sent to. So any place that, that there is a, a grouping of children, uh, there is an opportunity for abuse, whether that be physical, sexual, or emotional. And so it's up to us uh, to do due diligence and understand what is the, the kind of background with Aspen or any one of these other programs? What are they going to instill in my child? Is it all about cohesive control and um, power and making them adhere to your standards? Or is it about the child and making them flourish? Uh, so you have to ask yourself questions. And so there's a lot of red flags that you look for. Um, uh, one of the red flags that you would look for is, um, is this place isolated? Can the children speak? out? Can they communicate to the outside world? Um, are they, how, do they have access to the outside world? Do they have access to the internet? Can they contact somebody to report abuse? Um, it, are you or whoever the parent is, are you able to contact them at any given moment at any time? Um, and uh, the other thing is, is there all kinds of arduous rules? Um, and are those rules listed? Can you see them? And, um, you know, I think it's important to, they say their program is good. They kind of give you an overall of the program, but what does the program require and what is the overall outcome that they're, they're trying to get with a child? Are they trying to make them conform um, or are they, are they trying to help the child? Are they trying to help the child become a better um, young adult? So I think we need to understand why it is that we're sending these children away and um, be mindful of where we're sending them. Ask the important questions. Do they have qualified staff? What is it that they're after? What's the end goal? And um, also look at, do your own research, Google, um, you know, uh, search out, call, call other places, call nonprofits like mine um, if you're not sure and do your due diligence. And I urge you, Laura, to call Sia and uh, we, can, we can talk and we can look into whatever it is that your concern or question is. Wonderful. Awesome. I'm sure she will. Um, so my, I'm going to call him my brother, a spiritual brother, Yusuf, has been an amazing supporter for me in this. And, and <laughs> this is the tentacles of TTI are long and wide. And I had the pleasure of meeting his mother before she passed. Um, she was a survivor. And his question for you, Jody, is that his mother was state mandated as a teenager to an abusive program in the 70s and he wants to know is that still happening today are states still mandating and sending children to these programs um, I'm so sorry that your mom had to go through that and uh, yes it is still occurring there is uh, mandation uh, um, court mandated uh, you know specifically I I know confirming in Utah that that does occur in many other uh, facilities they're also sending foster children to these uh, programs so um, there was a horrific um, 
example of this in, in Nevada, where some kids from Oregon were sent over to Nevada and they were, you know, uh, in horrible, horrific conditions. And so it was uncovered. And so this is ongoing. It's something that happens all the time. Um, and I will tell you too, um, a little backstory. My, my uncle was sent away when he was very young and to a, uh, you know, a reform school, or I'm not even sure exactly what they, what they called it. And it was through the, the state that he was sent away. And so, um, it still does occur. I'm again, I'm so sorry about your mother, um, but it is still happening. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, that's interesting too, because, you know, there is legislation pending in some, well, maybe not, I'm not really sure about states, but I, I mean, I know they passed legislation in Alabama, but it's, you know, I know that like, you know, the 2004 bill and these things, they come to the the forefront of it, but it's like these governments are still taking control of our minors and our youth today and doing that. And that's like, well, really so here's gross. the question. So, so, so here's the question that it all kind of boils down to. Um, are these programs, wilderness boot camps, uh, therapeutic reform school, are they um, benefiting our children? And so, so the court system or whatever, they, uh, um, our government at this moment thinks that um, these places are good, um, that they have good in them, and so they're still in operation. And of course, they, they don't, you know, the place comes up in operation, and they're just there to enforce the law if they do, right? So um, <clears throat> I think, gosh, that's a hard one. Yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. Um, totally. Where are we, though? So, you know, uh, Meredith brought up Alabama uh, recently. You know, I've seen in the SIA advocacy groups that advocates worked on Montana. And then you guys have stuff going on in California as well. Where where are we in the United States legislative wise, like statewide and federally for the rights of children? I mean, we're slowly moving these. forward. Uh, you gave a really good kind of sum up of uh, where we're at, actually. <laughs> we've, made pro- <laughs> we've made progress in those particular areas, and we're working uh, to do more. So, And we need help. We need help. We need volunteers, people to call their legislators. Um, you know, uh, the, because of the kind of uh, environment that we find ourselves in, political and otherwise, right, uh, with the virus, um, you know, everything is kind of... Um, at a crawl uh, federally uh, there there was a federal bill in place and that stalled and so we're looking to see if we can get something reintroduced there but ultimately um, you know legislation is one part of this it's it's you know making sure that these people adhere to particular standards if we are going to use this method to um, um, to help our children but we can change that conversation too. We can say, no, this isn't working. We want uh, different and better. And so um, if we as a society speak up and say we want change, it will change. But we as a society have to understand that this type of kind of conformity, coercion, uh, bullying, um, it does not work in the benefit of the child or the family. And so we need to look at a different and better solution. Yeah. We had Rose from the timeout room. Um, she, that's another podcast. Uh, if you haven't heard it, she's a wasp oh, survivor from cross Creek. Heavily. Yeah. She's amazing. She, that's a heavy reason why we chose to do podcasts as 
um, of like a medium was the timeout room and deprogrammed. Um, so Rose called in, thanked you for coming. And then her question was, Hi, Jody. It's Rose from the timeout room. I was just wondering what's the most shocking information you have come across or witnessed in your research? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the most, <laughs> something that's uh, the most shocking. Um, I think it's all I think it's all pretty shocking, uh, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I read these uh, news articles of uh, these children dying and being abused. And, uh, you know, I think the Alabama, um, when we heard about the Alabama um, Restoration Youth Academy, um, that was, you know, pretty severe. And, you know, as a survivor, uh, this is kind of a good se- segue for this, but as a survivor, you know, every time I hear of an experience that, of course, triggers my own experience. And so I try to, you know, set that aside and, you know, do the work that's required. But sometimes that can be overwhelming, you know. And uh, I definitely remember when I was, you know, came across that and learned of the information, my heart just broke for those children. And um, <clears throat> So I think it's all horrific. And I think any abuse of children is horrific. And I think that um, this is why we all are here today doing what we're doing. And I also think it doesn't just pertain to, like, institutional abuse. I think it's all abuse, right? It's, like, the bullying in schools that drives children to kill themselves. Um, you know, the the bullying, like, not even, I mean, institutional abuse is one part of it. But I think, like, all forms of child abuse are unacceptable. Well, so institutional abuse is abuse that happens in an institution. So if I'm in a public school system and I'm being bullied by another child, that is institutional abuse. Yes. If I'm in an institution and I'm being sexually abused, that's institutional yeah. abuse. So if it's happening in an institutional setting, that is a form of institutional yeah. abuse. And so um, that's the conversation is, you know, what are we doing uh, in our institutions to protect our youth? Uh, whether it be in one of these facilities um, or whether it be locally in our public schools or our daycare programs or our after-school programs. We need to start having this conversation of how are, we're doing things to expand our children's mind and protect them and get them on their journey of being uh, young adults. You know, we need to start having that conversation. Yeah, Absolutely. I was wondering if um, Jody had any tips on how to get DSS and law enforcement and all working together on the Circle of Hope case. Um, And if she had any tips on what we could do to help Rachel Kelso out. What can the survivors of Circle of Hope and the community do to help uh, Rachel Kelso, who is the 30-year-old mentally disabled woman who is permanently legally committed to Circle of Hope for the rest of her life, and she's been there for 14 years now. Wow, my heart goes out to Rachel, I will say. Yeah. Uh, That's such a difficult question because uh, each state is so different and each circumstance and program is so different and unique. Um, To have them, to have start talking together, you might need to bring in a third party like the FBI or something like that to make them kind of all cooperate together. Um, you know, make them, um, that's a strong word. I mean, have them work together. <clears throat> mm-hmm. 
I think, you know, if we know that there is known abuse, right, um, we shout out from the rooftops as much as we can about um, the abuse that we experienced so that it doesn't happen to another. And I will use the example of the amazing survivors of the Hezbollah house. Um, they have for years been uh, speaking out and uh, doing various things to expose the abuse. And it's finally, Hezbollah House has finally been closed down. And um, to me, that's a very similar experience to what happened uh, with the place that I was at. It took um, quite a number of years uh, for the the things that, or the powers that be to, to occur to actually get the place uh, closed down. And so um, I think it's a unique experience for each particular place, but if there is known abuse, use your voice loud and get the information out as much as possible to whoever you can um, and uh, involve the federal authorities. Um, at least that's what I would do. Um, if we if we know if we experience the abuse, it's time for us to speak up and report it. And so, um, and I can't speak up for you because I didn't have the experience, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, I would love to speak up for you. I speak up all the time, but I can't do it. It has to come from you because you are the one that experienced the abuse. So you need to step forward uh, and and we'll help you do that. You know, the survivor community, all of us you know, for the most part, um, support one another. So if you need to make a report or, you know, we'll walk you through all of that stuff. And, um, but it has to come from you. So it doesn't matter what the place is, whether, it, you know, what, whatever the place is, it doesn't matter because we're talking about all, all of these places, there is known abuses that have occurred. So we need to start uh, reporting that. And so that's the biggest message here is use your voice. Um, the model of SIA has always been united with one voice. And so all of us coming together and speaking our experience will change things. But that's the important thing is we have to do that. We have to have the conversation. And it's hard and it's difficult and it's trauma triggering. Um, believe me, um, every time I uh, talk about this, uh, I have to prepare myself. I have to um, you know, get myself into a mental space to be able to speak. And that's another conversation entirely. Okay, um, so you're not in a place where you can share. Okay, well, let's start the healing process so you can be in a place to share and have that conversation, right? And so um, it's just all about the journey, I think, um, and using your voice, having the conversation, which leads into the, the uh, kind of next point. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the next point is like, what about those of us who are just entering survivor community? Um, you know, to be very blunt, like Meredith and I were forewarned about you know, the history of survivor communities sitting at the tables past, you know, um, and it's something that people are experiencing, like, how, how do we understand that this community is made up of trauma survivors with their own trauma triggers and very unique personalities, and not take things personally, but also support all these individual people? Well, that is so important. <clears throat> and I will tell you that um, when I very first started us, uh, yeah, uh, I didn't really know what all of this was going to entail. I just had a passion uh, to want to create change and 
help these kids. And, you know, so I was just kind of naive when I jumped into this experience and into the survivor community. And um, I had some pretty extreme experiences. And so it was very difficult to navigate all of this because I myself was in a trauma state. Okay. And so I was uh, engaging with other people in a trauma state. And so uh, two people in a trauma state coming together might not be good. <laughs> it might not be good. <laughs> and so, um, so this is uh, the tension that happens. And, you know, the other thing is, is uh, what I realized after kind of uh, navigating uh, the different groups and because um, we all have had different experiences, so they're quite unique right? But they're similar. So we can relate to one another. And so um, that's what makes the survivor community so amazing is because we can relate and understand from a deep kind of heart level, um, because we've been through a similar experience. Um, And I think for me, I took a couple years ago, uh, I just had a lot of and I'm going to be really vulnerable here with, with you guys. Um, I had a, a lot of uh, kind of emotional stuff going on, a lot of trauma um, coming up. Um, and I think it was just because I was mentoring a lot of people and doing a lot. And so my trauma trigger started to come. And um, uh, there was an experience where I was bullied in one of these groups. And it really caused um, a, me to kind of take an inward stance. It caused me to just go why am I doing this? Why am I here? Is this worth it? You know, and have that kind of inward conversation and, um, which was really, really good for me because it brought healing. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I understood that each one of us comes to this table with a different perspective perception and a different experience, right? So if we can come to this, this table and kind of Uh, support one another just because we've been through the similar experience we don't have to necessarily um, agree with one another we don't have to say your abuse was better than mine (laughs) or you know more more severe or or whatever the thing is just the fact that we have been through something that is just so uh life-changing um gleans that support and then the other thing that gleans that support is that we're all in this movement to do the same thing, which is to create change, powerful change, and to protect our youth, right? And so if we understand that we have these things that are in common, um, it doesn't matter if we uh, like the individual, we respect them. We respect them because they're doing good work, no matter what that work is. And so um, I think the biggest thing that I can say as advice uh, is know yourself and ask yourself very important questions. How am I feeling today? And uh, is, is, this, is this beneficial to me? Is me engaging in this conversation beneficial? Is this high energy? Am I giving off um, high energy vibes or low energy vibes? If, am I Am I um, uh, engaging in something that's bringing on um, things that are negative, such as um, fear and anger and bitterness? Or am I bringing kind of a solution to the table and uh, bringing hope and um, healing and positivity? So so, um, 
asking those really important questions and then saying, okay, yeah, I'm bringing those things to the table, but maybe not everybody else is, right? So knowing that they perhaps might not be, um, you then understand that you have to protect yourself and understand that you have your best intention in mind and that's all that matters and that you have this common ground with other people. Uh, and so to get along in a community means that you don't always have to agree. And so I think we need to start having the conversation of coming together and maybe sometimes agreeing to disagree, but respecting each other in the movement. I and, just, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I did. Wanna... I was on my soapbox. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, um, I actually do want to talk about this because it recently happened. And um, mm -hmm. it's something bad that happened, but also something really great came out of it. And, um, you know, me as a survivor, um, I, I forget someone posted something. They were somebody recently died. Um, another we've spoke about it. Uh, and um, we put up a memorial post, you know, uh, we here with Liz and at the Trouble podcast and with the, the, the Truth campaign um, count the number of survivors. Um, I'm sorry, the number of people that um, um, I think we're on 111. And so our, one of our uh, sister brother survivors posted about it. And then um, another person um, who went to the school with us, I didn't know this person, but they uh, felt the need to comment, um, you know, like just straight up bullying this person, saying how, you know, why are you complaining all these years later, blah, blah, blah. I remember you. You were so happy at that school. And, you know, um, I, I felt the need to just say, I said something very democratic. I just said, you know what? Your truth is your truth. Our truth is our truth. But continuously got attacked. And so um, much that I felt, I felt bad about it because I'm in this kind of new world with coming to terms with my abuse and, you know, speaking out about it. I immediately hopped on a call with Liz and um, Miranda. I was like, listen, just tell me, just get my head right about this. What do I say? How do I feel about this? And Liz said something to me that hit me so going to get a tattoo about it i don't have any tattoos but i want oh, wow. <laughs> i want this tattoo she said do no harm but take no shit and that just blew me away it just made me feel like you know what you're right um you know i i said my piece to this person i said you know what i, I didn't i didn't feel the need to you know throw any insults i was just like you know what you don't know me um, please don't tell me what to feel about my abuse or about anything. You know, you can say all that you want, but don't tell me or any other survivor, um, what we're supposed to feel. And that go that's like, that's like a, that's common knowledge. Like you don't, like you don't get to tell someone else how they feel. So I said that and I said, have a good day. I didn't respond further. You know, I wasn't interested in getting into, especially now that I have uh, a little bit of an image to uphold. I want to be a, I want to be some, a role model for other survivors to tell, you know, to not engage in this kind of bullying because it's happened to me many times before and I didn't end so badly. And I want to change that. And so, you my... know, I think the reason why, I think the reason why we engage is because we are like, no, that's not true. Let me defend myself. Right. Yeah. And so we go in to defend ourselves, 
and then it's just bait it's like fuel it's but it's fuel. also <laughs> but i also think it's like i also think these people um there are some other people like i got into it with a staff member at the school one time a few years ago um uh right around the time i started like coming to terms with everything and you know she was just shooting insult after insult i mean i just you know it's not healthy and um, I just want to say to everybody listening, do no harm, but take no shit. Mic drop. You <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, applause. <laughs> Listen, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think you can get your point across uh, in a way that you can speak your piece without, um, you know, disrespecting anyone, uh, you know, and, and kind of being peaceful. Um, and, but just being yourself. Uh, being comfortable enough in yourself to say your opinion in such a way that is kind and respectful, but gets the point across. Yeah. That's all that needs to be done. That's I think, all that needs to be done. I think done. that's what I'm like all about. I'm about putting you in your place without having to say one bad word. I think that's like my goal now because <laughs> I'm like the queen of bad words and just, you know, bleepity bleep bleep. Like I can go off. Like I do have that inside of me. Um, but I just think that I'm, I'm on this journey now to provide peace and to, you know, you know, I feel like I have a responsibility now to tell survivors um, to gain some peace after all this trauma we've experienced. Right. So I wouldn't be such a great role model if I just went in uh, engaged in that kind of behavior. So uh, as much as I want to rip this person's head off, I will say, uh, but, um, you know, but these people, they also, they want to be bullies, you know, they're, um, they want Not, to, I, you know what, I, 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 no, I think sometimes they don't, I think it's because, you know, people I think she did. that are hurting, I, I think people that are hurting hurt people. So if you're, if you're just yes. gruntled in your life or unhappy or whatever, you want other people to see that, you know, yeah. um, and feel that. And so, um, and it's not on purpose. True. It's not on True. purpose. It's just, you're, you're in kind of this miserable place. And um, it, so, so I can see where sometimes you're just kind of in this miserable place and you do this thing that causes irritation to another and it's just a trauma trigger. And so you're triggering me, I'm triggering you and, and it's, it's not healing for either side. Right. And it's, it's just a matter of understanding that we're all coming from a triggered place too. So um, yeah, you're right. And just being and, and managing your own trigger saying, Hey, okay, why am I feeling a certain kind of something about this? Yeah. Why is this affecting me this way? And manage your own trigger and kind of talk yourself through it. And, um, and it's amazing because it brings so much healing because you're not all kind of in that lower space of, Oh, why'd they say this to me? I don't understand. I'm such a, you know, and so, um, and I'll give you the perfect example. <laughs> Um, you know, because, uh, I, I do public speaking, um, about uh, my, I mean, you know, I'm very public about my story. Um, uh, I have had people, uh, say derogatory negative, uh, things about me and it's not, you know, anything that I can do anything about. It's just who I am as a person, you know, um, I have to, you know, uh, my lips are too big or, you know, whatever I'm fat or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the thing is. Right. 
Uh, and before I used to take to heart whatever those things were and say, oh, I'm, I, you know, uh, I need to fix myself. I need to do X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's because I am bad that these people are doing this. And uh, it dawned on me that, you know, I am who I am, who I am, and I can't change any part of me. And I wouldn't want to because uh, I was made this way. And so, um, me having that comfortability within myself, then their comment no longer bothers me. So I've worked through that trigger, you see. And so um, not that it doesn't hurt, because sometimes it is very painful, especially if it's coming from a close friend or somebody um, that's in your environment that you consider, um, you know, uh, a like-minded individual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, the other thing is sometimes people are just having an off day or an off time. And uh, they need somebody to kind of be there and kind of talk them through that time. So it just depends on the circumstance. Being in a community means that, you know, it's kind of like a family. You know, you, you have some people in the family that you're, you're not necessarily fond of. And, you know, then you have people that you just really enjoy hanging out with in the family. And then, you know, you have people that you have to be around because they're family. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just like that. That's what we are, a family. And so we have to kind of navigate it as such, I think. Uh, I, that's how I feel. Yeah. Guys. Miranda, everything. I agree. We're really. And, and wait, let, me, let, let me clarify really quickly. Uh, family can also be a threatening thing. Right. Because some exactly. people have been abused in the family. So because their family doesn't necessarily mean they are kind or good or have your best intentions in, in mind. So be very, very mindful of that yeah. and protect yourself. Be that protector that you didn't have growing up. Be that protector uh, for yourself and just know that you're worth it. Right. You're worth yeah. it. And um, so it's really difficult. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry if you've had any terrible experience within the community. But uh, I think it's helped you grow stronger, too. And it's helped me grow yeah, stronger. Yeah, I definitely think it's with everything. Yeah, we love agreeing with people. We're not used to it. <laughs> Um, but you know, and also, you know, just to drive the point home, you guys, like we learned this attack therapy shit at those tables in those programs. And for a lot of us, myself included, we also started learning that at birth in our family units where narcissistic codependent, you know, toxic relationships are like these ancestral cycles and traumas, you know, so it's actually first nature. For a lot of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so well, it's, uh, that's why we want to look It's so home. true. It's so true. Um, we were talking about this earlier is that, you know, this is kind of how we understood or were taught to kind of cope, mm -hmm. right? Uh, these behaviors, whether it was dysfunction of family or, 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 you know, the program, you know, that we were at. Um, that's, you know, we learned how to spot other people's faults. We learned how to... Uh, debates um, uh, to win. We, you know, we learned all of those bullying kind of behaviors. We learned the distrust, all of all of that kind of stuff. And so those are all very learned behaviors. But the beautiful thing is, is that we can change all of that. Our brain is a very powerful thing, right? So uh, we we can actually change the dynamic of how we think. Yeah. Um, if if we're really proactive in our healing, right? So we can change exactly how we move and how we process information uh, just by doing our healing work, right? So, um, and you can tell people who have uh, kind of done the work uh, versus people who have not. And so, you know, being mindful to 
um, that's a whole nother conversation is having, you know, uh, mentoring, right? So um, somebody coming new, newly into the community um, and kind of uh, helping another as they kind of navigate the environment is a really good thing, right? Yeah. So that's important. Yeah, I hope Sia starts offering like a uh, big brother, big sister mentorship <laughs> things because I think that um, Meredith and I are still figuring, I mean, we're new too. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I don't want to be responsible for potentially harming someone or, mm -hmm. you know, scaring them from the community by not giving them the right kind of support because, you know, I'm at risk as yeah. well. Well, yeah, we, we've talked about that and we have some kind of uh, programs in the works, things that we're working on that are going to be really beneficial for the survivor community. And we're looking to kind of launch within probably three to three to five months. I mean, it just looks like uh, with the kind of environment, the virus, yeah. and all of that, that um, we, we just can't predict, um, but it's going to be pretty good. I think that, you know, the whole kind of premise behind SIA, what we stand for is um, basically helping survivors and educating and raising awareness. That's what we're all about. And uh, we want you to know that you're not alone, that we are a community. We are, all of us together are a movement. Uh, and we started this movement years ago. And so we've made continuous progress and we're going to do things like that, the, uh, you know, mentoring kind of uh, program and other kind of programs that are really going to enhance the survivor community and um, kind of propel the movement forward. I'm really excited. Amazing. Yeah, same. And if we didn't, if, oh, sorry, if we didn't scare everybody away from the survivor table with this conversation, um, how can they connect with you um, and, and Sia and like, what, how can they get involved? Um, Sia has a website. Um, it's sia-now.org. And we have a YouTube, uh, so you can check our, our YouTube, and it's just you look up SIA Organization, and we have an Instagram account. And, of course, we're on Facebook. Uh, so come find us. Yeah. Awesome. Meredith, you have anything to add, my dear? No, just thank you so much for coming on today, Jody. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. I have so I was so excited and looking forward to this, <laughs> and it's even better than I thought it was going to be. You guys are oh. doing a really good job. Keep up the good work. Stop it. I can't take compliments. I don't know how. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but we look forward to having you on many more times because I think what this brought up is basically just that there's a million conversations to be yes, had. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So thank you for, you know, setting the table for us because, you know, Mayor and I, I, I think we both as advocates for a lot of different things in our community as they show up really respect and appreciate everything that the generation of advocates in, in, against TTI have laid because we wouldn't be having these conversations in this way. There wouldn't be Alabama, Montana, and California having these conversations if you guys hadn't done what you've, what you've done over the past decade. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, and, and hats off and really, uh, you know, to the whole entire community and all the work that's been done, uh, you know, even before me, you know, um, uh, there's been so much that has been done that um, without, without their voices, we, we would not be here today. And, and, you know, we've made a lot of progress. We've moved in such a really positive direction. And, you know, I, I look forward to what the future looks like. But looking back, I can really appreciate the history and all the hard work and dedication uh, that's been done uh, by survivors, for survivors, and to protect youth. And I'm just so thankful. And I'm happy and proud to be part of this community. 
As are we. I look forward to us being able to have retrospective conversations about like how this belongs only on the History Channel now. I mean, that will be yeah. fantastic. Yes.